Welcome back. Welcome in. Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. Starting you off with another week of question mark. The sports. A lot of things happening, maybe not happening. For West Virginia basketball, um, just when things are going really, really good and you figure, man, they got a chance to go 6-0, and maybe 5-1 and in this really big stretch. The hardest stretch ever in school history. Well, they there's a saying you can't have nice things. You can't even have not nice things because Baylor's got to back out. Now there's a huge hole in this donut of a schedule for the six games. No idea if or when or how they'll make up the Baylor games. And West Virginia team that probably doesn't need a break as far as like time off or interruption of rhythm and momentum, maybe is going to have, you know, a, a gap in their schedule again here. And the beat goes on in a very, very unusual 2020, 2021 season. Chris Anderson. Yeah, it's very strange. You know, early on, we talked about when West Virginia hit their pause and they didn't reschedule. And I said they, they paused that one or they postponed the one game and they didn't reschedule. And I said, this is a bad sign. It, it, it sounds like it's going to lead to more postponements and they don't want to reschedule because then they have to reschedule again. I think they're going to have to reschedule a lot of games, not just WVU. If they want to make this work, you know, you post it on the board. Hey, let's 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 problem solve this. Let's figure this out. How are we going to get these games in? I think the only way to truly get them in is to move games that you've already moved, and and not just for West Virginia, but for several teams. And and that's the problem with with these kind of delays that are coming later in the season. You're just running out of time. There's there's nowhere to move things around. Baylor, Texas was previously postponed back in December, and Baylor postponed three games coming up. Did they postpone any last week? I can't remember. I know they they paused last week, but they were off already, right? Baylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there no, are four they, games they didn't in the right? Yeah. Man, and then if I'm looking at the schedule, they play the 20th against Oklahoma State, and they're canceling a game on the 18th against West Virginia. I don't know how they can play that game on the 20th, right? Uh, I was curious how they canceled the game on the 18th already um, because I, I was under the impression that the guidance was, you know, 10 days uh, for this. Um, correct me if I'm wrong because I know the Big 12 has has different rules. I don't know how those have changed along with CDC guidelines, but they, they, they began the cancellations back on the 5th. So I, I, I didn't understand why we were already canceling games on the 18th, which is two weeks out from – when the issues began, unless, of course, things continue to get worse and, um, and there's just no end in sight there. I would have to think if they did testing again and had more bad news. Yeah, which which, which would then go to your point of the 20th is, is up in the air as well. Yeah, so, I mean, if, you're, if yesterday was the 8th, right? 10 days, right. you're back on the 18th at the earliest. Are you, I mean, I guess you could be okay, but it means you're flying. It's, it's very tight. I don't know. And the reason that is worth circling is Baylor would return against Oklahoma State. Um, if that game gets canceled, you could play that Oklahoma State-West Virginia game somewhere, perhaps. But if you look at Oklahoma State's schedule, it doesn't work. You can't find a way to do it. Um, they don't have an opening that actually fits because Baylor doesn't play. doesn't mean that you could slide Oklahoma State in there. That's how complex this is. I was maneuvering things and trying to make it work. And just to be honest with you, Here's West Virginia down two Baylor games, TCU at home and Oklahoma State at home. I don't see a spot in a TCU schedule to squeeze in West Virginia. This is during the regular season. Um, 
I don't see one for Oklahoma State, even if Oklahoma State cancels or postpones the Baylor game on the 20th. And then Baylor's schedule is going to be an absolute mess when they get back in because they're going to have to condense time. And this is the bad timing here. You're near the end of the schedule when you get back. The schedule ends at 27th. If they're back at the earliest, the 18th, you're going to have a couple of games already scheduled. You've got to fit in more. So how do you do that? And then the only thing I could find was kind of a desperation thing for West Virginia because obviously you have that week, yeah, 10 days at the end of the regular season and before the tournament where they've they've strategically placed like a landing spot for postponed games. I really don't think coaches want to play more than two. Three would be tough. Four is probably out of the question. And three, yeah, you could do it maybe, you know, you play on the 27th and you play maybe Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday for the first game of the tournament. That's just really complicated. So two would be fine, which means you're going to have to find a way to wedge them in there. So for West Virginia, I was thinking, all right, they can play three in that extra week. Where do you put one in the regular season? This is how crazy this is, Chris. The only thing I could find was move up the tip time for tonight's game to like 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Get West Virginia home at like 1 a.m. instead of 5, 530. Play host to Oklahoma State Thursday night. Yeah, I think that that cramming in this Thursday night game against Oklahoma State, who just played last night and would play against Saturday at noon. I mean, I think you'd have to ask uh, them to move that Saturday game till till later in the evening, probably. But that that's like step one is getting Oklahoma on Thursday. But after that, again, you run into issues just because you're trying to move guys around, and some of these some of these games have already been moved around because West Virginia mm-hmm. is going to have a big gap in that in, in next week's schedule because right. that's when they're supposed to play Baylor twice. So you go and look at these other games to move around. That's also the same week that other games for other teams were postponed too. So they've already filled and are already playing three games next week, just like West Virginia was supposed to. So it gets tricky and. I sat there for longer than I probably should have yesterday trying to figure this out, trying to make it all work. And honestly, I think the solution is you're not going to play a full 16 game slate. I think maybe you try to get everybody to 14. I'm talking, uh, excuse me, non-conference slate. Is it supposed to be 18, right? Mm-hmm. Nine other opponents twice. So 18, yeah. you, you try to get to 14 which would be five more games for West Virginia, or maybe 16. But trying to get to 18, get to the full 18, just try to get everybody to the same number and go from there, which I understand is going to be difficult, and not all games are being created equal here because West Virginia's played Iowa State twice and Baylor zero times. But I just don't see how you get to 18 for everybody without cramming four games in right before the NCAA tournament, which you're then going to cram into – or right before the Big 12 tournament, which you're then going to cram into right before the the NCAA tournament. And that's just a, a bunch of dominoes are going to fall there that, that I don't think is going to be pretty, which was something that was asked in our mailbag too. I, I just butting the conference tournament up against the NCAA tournament was a bad idea six months ago. And it's looking even worse now. It's a mess. It, it is a mess. Well, I let me ask you this, and because you're you're Mr. Contract, you know this stuff. I, I saw somebody mention this on the board. Something about the Big Twelve must um, must provide at least 100 games or something like that in order for uh, to ESPN 
and, and ABC, and, and you know, for, to to fulfill the contract, and that if they only play, say, 16 games apiece or something like that, then they won't reach that 100 games. Is that is that something that's in there? I, I'm not a, I'm not familiar with what these contracts say as far as yeah. content. It's kind of, of, it's kind of mysterious. Minus. Kind of mysterious how they do it. I don't know if it's like annualized or or prorated where every game is worth X amount of dollars, and every time you don't miss it. You don't make that money. It could be as simple as that. Or is it put into certain thresholds where to get maybe it's split into like increasing tiers. So let's say it's split into four tiers. And like if you hit the first tier, it's 10 percent. If you hit the second tier, it's an extra 25 percent. So now you're 35 percent. You have you only played half your games. That means they want the games at the end of the season because that's when the schedule is very important. The inventory is valuable. There's fewer games on TV for competition, maybe. Um, you have an idea who's who in the Big 12, so on and so forth. So you still got 65% of the income left, but only 50% of the games. And maybe those final two tiers are worth, let's say, I don't know, I'm trying to think of my head here, 30 and then 35% of the money. You see what I'm saying there? Right. The further you go into the season, the more it's worth. I don't know if it's like that either. So if you don't, if you can't get into that fourth tier at the end, well, then you're going to leave 35%, eh, maybe 25% of your income on the table. That would be bad. But if it's as simple as 105 games divided by the sum and every game you don't play is worth that that fraction, then that's not that big of a deal. I don't know how that is. I know that the contract states you have to hit a number. I also think that the, the, the kind of the misnomer here is that the conference tournament is part of the package. My understanding is it's a separate deal. Um, it, the revenue is separate from that. It's not part of the TV contract. Where I'm going there is you can get your regular season inventory if you don't have a conference tournament. And uh, we started talking about this weeks ago. There's going to be a movement to not play conference tournaments. And that was before the situation started getting like it is right now. Worse is a tough word because it wasn't great before, but certainly more complex right now. So what are you trying to do? Are you trying to crown a pure traditional regular season champion and also get all your regular season contracted games in? Are you trying to short sell your regular season to get the conference tournament? But the conference tournament has so much money, even if it is a separate income source, there's so much money involved in that. Even with fewer fans or perhaps even no fans, that that has to be considered too. I'm with you. Um, I don't know how they're going to play a regular season in a conference tournament. I'm trying to figure out ways in my head that they can reconcile it. Can they play 15? And can you seed normally? And then play a tournament? Maybe. Do you need all 10 teams in Kansas City? Do you really need Iowa State and Kansas State and Kansas <laughs> yeah. City? Because that, take, that takes a day off. That takes a day off the tournament, and you can get another game in the regular season, perhaps. Right. Um, and also, you could, you could, in theory, get all the pieces back on the board. Uh, uh, let's say February 20th. We'll just use that as a date. Reschedule. Redo the schedule. You know, reseed it like they want to do in the NCAA tournament anyways. You know, when everybody advances after two rounds, you reseed it. Reseed it and make your final two weeks of the season, your final week of the season, I guess, some sort of an exhibition, a stage, a showcase for your best tournament teams. Because if you get into a situation where all of a sudden, let's say West Virginia is a three-loss team and Baylor is a one-loss team, and West Virginia hasn't played once against Baylor and has two games against them, but you can't find a way to schedule it, if I'm West Virginia, I'm pretty upset, right? Yeah. And similarly, if I'm Baylor and we're tied with West Virginia, but they've played four games against Kansas State and Iowa State, and you know they haven't played them, and it's, it's, there's so many competitive risks there that I don't know how you do it. Uh, 
would love the paycheck, hate the job once again. But I, I don't know how you do this because they, they'll try to computerize this, I'm sure, to make it work. But there's such a human element here, too, that you have to look at it to find a way to make it work. And then, oh, by the way, lots of dollar signs and lots of commas at stake right now, too. Yeah, I because you you know when somebody hears oh 20 25% maybe you you lose 25% of your revenue we're, we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars in that 25%. So it's not something that you can kind of just shrug off and 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 think it's not a big deal and I think that's why they're trying so hard to force these games in and make it work but at, at some point they need you know it's one of those where you, you cut off your nose despite your face you're trying to force these regular season games in and it's going to cost you in the tournament or you're going to force in the conference tournament it's going to cost you the ncaa tournament because with it with the ncaa tournament right after a conference tournament hey let's bring 10 teams and all their coaches and all their staffs all into one place play a bunch of games together then send them all back home and then three days later they're supposed to be flying or driving or busing to indiana um it ain't going to work. We, we've seen almost all these issues that the Big 12 teams have had have come after road trips. Yeah. And if, if you know, one or two of these teams, I, I'm already on board. I'm sure I'm, I'm far from alone. There's going to be a half dozen teams that are going to have to bow out of the NCAA tournament because they can't play in the first round. Are they going to have backup teams? Are they just going to give these te- the other opponents a bye? I don't know how that's going to work. Are are, are guys going to be playing in the first round with, you know, first and second round? Because if you if you're having issues for the first round game, you're having issues for the whole weekend. So are we going to have teams that are playing with three scholarship players and four walk-ons just trying to make it to the Sweet 16? Like I, it's just, again, guys, just like it was just like football, Mike. I feel like we're, I feel like Groundhog Day, where eight months ago we we're like, hey, that's a bad idea. Hey, you should probably have a week. Between mm-hmm. between the NCAA tournament, hey, it's okay to have May Madness instead of March Madness. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Nobody's going to hate you. No, you're not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> like, what I is going say this on? Too. If people had listened to our bubble idea, yeah, and where you played three games in a weekend and then you were off for 10 or 12 days or 14 days, a lot of these gaps wouldn't be occurring because teams would be sitting out during those days. You'd be playing three games in a weekend and you wouldn't be playing for another, I don't know, again, another 10 days, another 14 days. Guess what? 10 days is what you need to have off. It would have worked. Yep. So one, listen to our podcast, please <laughs> pay royalties next time. Number one. Number two, something that I heard yesterday was that they should have built, they should have built a, a, a gap into the regular season too. And did you need to have all of these Saturday, Monday blank Saturday games. Could you have filled in some of that space between the Monday and the Saturday? So you play Saturday, Monday in the Big 12. You're not supposed to play until the next Saturday. Did they have to maintain that gap? And could you have filled up some of those gaps between Monday and Saturday with a Thursday game? Because that might give you an open week, let's say, right now. You could have built in a way to do that. Where you have so many games up in the air right now that, frankly, you had to see this coming. There was no way you're going to get through unscathed. And there was no way to say that all of the cancellations or postponements, I should say, were going to happen before February 1st. That was unrealistic. They're always going to happen throughout the season. But if you had games right now that were needed to be rescheduled and you had a gap in the schedule that you built in, plus the one at the end of the regular season, now you have some more solutions. And I think that was maybe something that was proposed but never got a lot of traction. And people are saying they should have taken that more seriously because 
here we are. I think coaches don't like to have interruptions in their season, though. They get they get fidgety about the Big 12 SEC challenge. Can you imagine a voluntary week off in the season? That'd be tough. Um, and then just, you know, how are they going to do that final week in the Big 12 tournament? I don't know. It just that seems to be tough. But again, if you had, if you had built in a pause right now, you really could look at your final X games in the regular season. I think West Virginia has five on the schedule and four off the schedule. But so theoretically, you could reschedule your final half of the Big 12 regular season. One, logistically to make sense because you're trying to get as much of an authentic season as you can. But competitively, too, what games do I have to play for seeding purposes, for NCAA tournament purposes? Do we really need to have West Virginia against Kansas State to end the regular season? No. But we'd like to have West Virginia twice against Baylor. If that means canceling a Kansas State game to get Baylor in the Coliseum, I'm pretty sure everybody would be all for that. Um, that would have been very radical, but you know, I wonder if that wouldn't have been a better idea this time. And again, I think it's going to take radical solutions to get something finished mm-hmm. here. I don't know why that wasn't part of the thought process earlier. Why can't they proactively be radical, at least be open to being radical? But here we are. Well, to, to be fair to the NCAA, Mike, they, oh. they, they needed at least six to eight months to properly trademark and monetize mask madness. Okay. I mean, <laughs> they needed that time to make sure they could monetize this pandemic and put a few extra bucks in their pocket. All right. So let's be fair here. Let's be fair. Predictions. You ready? Yes or no questions. All right. Simple one here. Everybody plays 18 games in the regular season. Yes or no? No. I'm with you. Number two, all 10 teams play in the big 12 tournament. No. I mean, mm, I don't. uh, No, sorry. No. I'm going to say yes, but I don't agree with it. Number yeah, I was going to say, I, I, the, no, the answer is no, they shouldn't, but I'm torn on them just forcing it in anyway. But Number three, course. there is a Big 12 tournament? Yes. Yes. Number four, the Big 12 tournament is in Kansas City. Hmm. Yes. What are my other options? I'm going to say no. Ooh. Go on. You can't leave me hanging like this. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud here. Can they? I guess they could do it, but I could see them, I could see them doing it somewhere else, maybe more central. I don't, I don't know. I don't really have a reason for it, but like if it was in Dallas, because they had to move it to a certain time, maybe they have to shuttle it a couple of days and they got to fit it in or whatever. Remember, they have that extra day to work with too. Like they play on their championship game is on Saturday, selection Sunday, Sunday. They can move it back a day if they had to. So maybe it won't move, but I wonder if they could play. I don't know, like if you're worried about time in a crunch and you don't want to have somebody play at noon and you play someone who plays the 7 o'clock game the next day, perhaps you can play multiple games at once. Hard to do in Kansas City. I don't think the venue's there, although they have the NAIA gym where they play the tournament there. But Dallas, for example, you could play four games at four different sites and it wouldn't be hard. There's a lot of high schools and junior colleges and even pro arenas down you can actually use. Now, getting that space is going to be really complicated. And I'm realizing now that that's probably not going to happen. So I probably should change my answer to yes. But I wonder if it's going to happen. Is it going to happen on those dates? If it doesn't happen on those dates, does it happen in Kansas City? I could see that being being disrupted. But you, you're probably right here. Probably going to happen in Kansas City. I like, the, I like the way you think. But you're thinking. So the answer is probably no. I think, Chris, we should probably move on to our Q&A. Because we've asked all of our Qs and haven't really provided a lot of A's. But as always... Subscribers have questions. We have answers. We'll try to answer as many as we can here, as best as we can. No guarantees for quality in the spoken format, but Chris, you'll come and clean up afterwards. Sweep up my mess with 
the written version sometime later. And answer all the questions Mike tries to avoid. Don't worry. Yes, Don't worry. I'm ducking and dodging and diving and dodging. Uh, but let's well, go hey, into this. Questions, yeah, you want to stick with the NCAA tournament stuff? I guess we I had an interesting one from Preston, Preston County here. Um, if the NCAA tournament devolves into a three-on-three half-court due to COVID, who are your three for WVU? This is great. Do we have a bench or just three? I don't know. He doesn't say bench. He, he, he goes on to say McBride and Culver seem like givens, but there's an interesting debate for the third spot. So I want to hear, it, are McBride and Culver givens? And if so, who's your third guy? Oh. Let's, say, let's, say no, let's say no bench. McBride's a given. Taz Sherman's a given. Yeah. And then Culver, yeah. Yeah, I'm with I you. I like it. Now, I would have a harder time with my third one involving Culver. Now, I think he would get in. There's the rebounding and the easy scores and stuff like that would be good. But it's going to be such a wide-open game that I don't know how valuable he is offensively. In a three-on-three setting, I get that. So you could say, well, boy, what would like Emmett Matthews be like? What would, I don't know, Sean McNeil be like? That'd be interesting, but I still need my three best players in some capacity to do something. I could find a way to win with those three for sure. So give me Culver, Sherman, McBride. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you my thoughts on that and then follow up with a question for you. Because, yeah, I'm with I'm with you on Sherman. You know, the way Preston County um, posited the question was McBride, Culver, Givens, and then who are you taking for the third guy? And Taz is the first guy I thought of, uh, you know, right yeah. up there with McBride. I think his game is perfect for it. I think he can – shoot the standstill shot about as well as, say, McNeil or Bridges, uh, you know, in that same category. But the way he's able to create his own shot and get past his man would be even more valuable in three-on-three than it is on five-on-five. So Now, if it was full court, would you change your answer from Culver to someone else? Uh, no, okay. I don't think so. But here, here's, here's a theoretical uh, or hypothetical for the Culver situation. So we agree McBride, Sherman, no doubters. On half court. Yes. If Isaiah Cottrell is healthy, mm. are you changing to Cottrell over Culver? So this is like when you play a video game franchise and you have to load rosters. Yeah. So, uh, it, version. so you have the. It, you have I know the there's going to be people version. out there thinking, hey, Culver's way better than, than Cottrell. But for the, the point that you made right when you said, yeah, I guess I'm going with Culver just the different styles in their game and how Cottrell might fit better with three on three. So, so if you get a healthy Cottrell, are you taking him over Culver in this, in this hypothetical scenario? I like the thinking there. I wouldn't do it. I would still go with Culver, but now let me spin it back on you. We're going to November 1st roster. Would you take Sheboy over Culver and um, <sighs> Cottrell? Ah. Yeah. You got me thinking. Um, I think I would. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I think if, if you're asking me if I'm taking the 2019-20 version of Shibway, the answer is undoubtedly yes, I'm taking Shibway over Colbert. Um, you know, Shibway wasn't terrible to start this year before he elected to transfer, but he he was not as good, and, and that would make me think twice about it because I think you need somebody who's just a relentless rebounder. I think you can get that from both of them. Um, and Shibway might be a little more consistent in what he was doing last year than what that Culver does in the post. And, and I just don't know how much of a post game there's going to be in three on three. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so it, it would make me think twice about it. But again, 2020, 
and 2021 Shibway, I'm not sure, but last year Shibway, yeah, I would. So your November 1st roster, that's what I'm saying. Like you uploaded your roster on November 1st. Okay, yeah, so we don't see this year. So yeah, then I'm taking Oscar then. Now, if you had your February 9th roster, certainly Cole would be the guy. Right. Gotcha. Okay, good question though. Um, Moving on. Do, 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 do. Let's go with, uh, let's stick with basketball for a couple more questions. Uh, what are the odds we lose Miles McBride to the NBA this summer from Yidio 10? I'll, I'll answer the, the recruiting half of that after in, in the written form. But Mike, before the season, Bob Huggins said all the NBA guys were asking about, the first person they were asking about was not Culver, was not Shibway, it was McBride. Um, I remember at least one of us, possibly me, laughing at that, and I was wrong. It's hard to admit, yeah, but it happens every once in a while. It doesn't seem strange now, but it would seem strange again, November one, right? Right. So, what, so what? I mean, is this a legitimate concern? Do you think do you think he oh, has yeah. raised his profile enough that he could possibly leave after the season? This is the goal for McBride. McBride's goal was to get into college and to get out within three years and to play in the NBA. Like that that's that's I don't think that's a surprise to anybody to hear that. Um I think that maybe what is surprising is that year three is coming so fast. <laughs> like he's he's pulling that finish line toward him with the way he plays. What's what's curious to me is you have two very different McBrides in the past 14 days. Um, mm -hmm. Excellent against Texas Tech in the crunch. Ordinary in the following two games. And then just like a supernova against Kansas. So against two very good teams, he was great. And then in between was not great. Um, Florida, eh, good talent. Iowa State, frankly, should have been better. But that's a pretty good look at the then and now with him. Is he that good right now that he can hit 24 against um, Texas Tech and to get a bunch in a flurry and then 31 against Kansas? Or is he a guy that's going to kind of be up and down a little bit and get nine points a game in between? Probably. I mean, he's probably that type of guy right now. Does he have the, the Joe Alexander-ish leap in him where he played nine really, really, really good games in 2008 and then went pro and made a lot of money for it? Like, does McBride have that in him? If he does, he's gone. But if he's two up, two down, two up, two down, and then has just an okay tournament, um, it's a question. It's a decision. But I think the buzz is out on him. There's size. There's pedigree. People know about him now. They've seen him. They've scouted him a bunch that if the situation is right, he goes. Um, I will say this. The next part of this question, part two that you're about to ask, I do <clears> think that factors into his decision because that guy likes to win so much. And he has a chance to really win at a high level next year that I think the next question you're about to ask may factor into his answer too. Well, before we get to the next question from Yidio there, my counter argument to McBride leaving, and I, I, I should have pulled this up beforehand, but I'm, I'm pulling it up as I go right now. Um, the heights and weights for guards selected in the NBA draft, 6'4", 220, 6'5", 205, 6'6", 220, 6'6", 205. I mean, you see where I'm going here. McBride's not small. Not He's not small. And he's got long arms. He's got great reach. But he is 6'2", 200 pounds on a good day. So he is smaller than your typical 
guard in the NBA. You know, if you're six two, you are basically relegated to point guard and nothing else. You're not finding six two shooting guards or wings in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be the only thing that's holding against him because the game translates. His game will translate. I just you know how much these pro teams, NBA, NFL, they, they love measurables, they love upside potential and all that other stuff. But I think that's the only thing holding him back from being, you know, a, a legit first round NBA draft pick right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, he can't get there. Another year where he's on the ball and his, again, like we say this thing, he's always not a great point guard. He's not a pure point guard. Have you seen his assist turnover numbers? Pretty good. Yeah, and his his offensive efficiency stuff and, like, the player combinations with him, like, I don't want to get too into the analytics here, but, like, of West Virginia's best one-two punches, the top ten or something like that, he's involved in seven of them, which a lot of it's because he does a lot of the heavy lifting, but he's also making seven other players really good around him. That's kind of what a point guard is supposed to do. So he he does know how to play it. I just think he's so smart and so kind of in tune to the position of the game that he'll be mm-hmm. okay there. Can Now, here's the thing. Is he low first round, early second round at this moment? Probably I think that's where you put you would put him in that conversation. If you had to rank him somewhere, eh, he's not a high, he's not a lottery pick. He's not a high first round, middle first round. You know, is he low first round, high second? Yeah, probably, probably. But can he be in one of those upper tiers? You know, can he be that lottery pick? Can he be that middle first round? Can he be that sure thing first round pick? The answer is yes. When I don't know. So that's why it's hard to answer right now because if he has his ideas on being like, hey, I want to be a lottery pick. That's why I went to college. I want to be here for three years. So I want to be a lottery pick. Probably not there for him right now. Maybe he goes wild these next two months and it works. Uh, maybe he doesn't and he has to come back next year too. So the odds you lose him, listen, it's 50-50. You do or you don't, but those odds change every time he plays right now. Yep. I, and and for those wondering, since this is the hot topic now, Javon Carter, 6'1", 200. McBride, 6'2", 200. So. Why is that the hot uh, topic? You know, same size too. Yeah. I, I don't know. Apparently everybody wants to compare the two these days. So. Uh, but you're right. There was a second part of this question, and Wait, maybe why? it is related. Huh? Why do we want to compare them? <laughs> I don't know why we want to. I don't want to. But a lot of uh, a lot of fans are asking about it. Uh, there has been plenty of arguments on the on the message board about it. But really, I seems to me like they're two very different players. But he's more Dax than Javon, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's accurate an accurate statement. All right. Never mind. Um, Go on. Uh, no, I see. Where, I'm looking at this right now. I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. Okay, I just found out. Part, part two of this uh, of this question from Yudio. What are the odds of Taz Sherman and Gabe coming back next year? Really high. Yeah, 
I think so, because Sherman could be the guy next year. Uh, it could be like a 20 point per game score in the Big 12. Like that's I just I've seen that type of progression from one year to the other and this year to the next one. And the fact that he's a junior college guy who didn't have to go to junior college, man, if he can get a third year when he only was ever going to get two, you know, he remember he was an automatic qualifier. He didn't have to go to JUCO and then didn't have to stay two years. The fact that he can get an extra year, I, I just think is extremely intriguing and probably important to him too. Osa Boyan, same thing, man. Um, you know, didn't play a lot as as much at Arkansas. Did play, but didn't play as much. Um, missed part of his first year last year at West Virginia. Not much, but part of it. Time is a commodity you can't get back. If you can get it back, yeah. But again, this may also have to do with McBride. I think if McBride comes back, those two are definitely coming back. I just I don't see Sherman as an NBA player right now. I can see him being like an instant offense heat guy, bench guy in the, in the NBA. If he if he is like a twenty point per game guy next year in the Big Twelve, I don't see why that would be so strange. Oh, Saboyan's probably never going to make a lot of money playing pro basketball, but I just think he likes it so much and and he can get a full career out of this and do stuff. Now I don't know what their academic situations are. Do they want to be doctors or lawyers and they can get their free education? Having no one-on-one time with these guys for almost a year, it's hard for me to say. I just don't know their stories like that. But if it's a really good basketball situation, I could see them both coming back next year. Um, you probably have to throw Colbert into this situation, too. I think this group is really tight and feels like they didn't get to do what they wanted to do last year. They really think that they were onto something last year because they beat Baylor and Iowa State at the end of the season. Didn't get a chance. I think that they really thought they were going to be special this year, and this has been such a weird season that they didn't really get a chance. If you can run it back next year under optimal conditions, I could see some sort of a coordinated effort by that group of players being like, hey, we got a chance to be special. Let's all do it one more time. I, I don't know how that conversation ends up. I can see that conversation actually happening, and I can see both those guys coming back. So before the season, Bob Huggins was asked about this, and he said that he didn't see any reason for either of them not to take the NCAA up on this offer of a free year of eligibility. And I am – in mostly in agreement here, uh, you know, uh, I when we get these questions, some, I go through them beforehand, and for the the written part, it gets me prepared for this podcast, and I start answering. So I've already answered this in the written part, and my answer was eighty percent of you know if, if you okay. had had me put the odds, and my counter for that that twenty percent chance of them not coming is this on on the Gabe side of things, how much better is he getting? You know, I guess it all depends on his mindset of what he wants to do after college. Because, like, if he's reached his basketball ceiling, which I believe he has, then he might be ready to just go, you know, apply his trade overseas and, and be ready to, to try to make some money out of it while he can. But, I, again, as you noted, I haven't talked to these guys one-on-one. Don't know what, you know, his goals and aspirations are outside of basketball. Maybe he's just this is it for him and he knows it and he's ready to move on and, and do something else. And he, he would come back for an extra year to get another degree to help with his career after basketball. And then the, the 20% on Sherman is he's on such a hot streak right now and mm-hmm. he's showing an ability to create and make his own shots. And that's extremely valuable to, to all professional leagues. Um, I don't think he's NBA level right now, but this could be so I, I could absolutely he just is the perfect example of a player that overseas programs look at and be like, hey, three years, three hundred thousand dollars, you know, so what's what's the price tag if, if some team in Greece or France offers him one hundred thousand dollars, 
a year to come play. No taxes. No taxes. Live over there. You know what? What are you doing? It, it, it's a tough choice. I, it, it, I mean, I was about to say I don't envy it, but I do envy that. That'd be a great choice to have to make. But um, I, he strikes me as somebody who could get something like that, some kind of deal like that. I don't expect him, you know, NBA level offers or anything like that, but could be a guy that gets, you know, low six figure offers from somewhere in Europe or overseas. And, and that could, you know, depending on his situation, his mindset, all that stuff. Again, we don't know. That could be something that that might be too much to pass up. What do you think about Culver? I don't know where his spot is in the NBA. Drafting on the court, anything. He, he, it's a wild card to me. Right. I'm. I, I. I think he. I think he's probably more Europe too. So I wonder if he comes back to more refine his game to try to get back into the NBA or not back in the NBA, but to to build up his stock to get a look in the NBA because I'm not sure he's getting that right now. Um. Correct me if I'm wrong. Pooler wants Jeffrey Pooler wants to be a lawyer, I believe, right? And has like educational goals, and that was part of his decision for coming back too. Is that right. he got more school out of it too? And like, so I I would not discount that for these guys too. Um, yeah, play some basketball, play some football on the side, but hey, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be blank. Let me get as much of the books as I can in right now. Um, it's yeah. not it's not irrelevant. No, get get as much as I can and get it for free. That's Actually, he wants to be an it. agent, I believe, but I believe he wants to go to law school, but he wants to be an agent, and he wasn't quite finished with that yet, so take another year. All right, let's, uh, well, you, you, you've transitioned us over to uh, football, so let, let's, let's go there. Um, related to the transfer portal, this is from GD Full. With increased use of the transfer portal and upcoming one-time transfer rule, are are we ever going to see? Are we going to see fewer high school players sign and save for transfers? I'm assuming he means. I mean, obviously, we've seen it this year with only 16 signees. Uh, great story from Chris Hummer the other day, uh, mm-hmm. or was that Bud Elliott? Bud Elliott, uh, about 400 fewer high school recruits signing this cycle than in recent years. I'm assuming he means like from now on. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I like. Do you think that's the path that we're going here? I think so. And I think you're going to see, I mean, that December date is going to become bigger and bigger and bigger because the rush. But at the same time, if you're, if you're a middle guy or, or a high middle, you're not one of the top, but you're not just some guy either. Right. You're, you're not like a top 100, top 150 guy. But if you're in that, that top 300, um, don't you want to, maybe wait until February now too, because how much happens after the final regular season game, coaching changes, transfers, going pro. And between that period of activity and the December signing date, how many schools open up two, four, five possibilities on the roster? Um, And I think every program is smart to keep some, even now every program is smart to keep some, just in case available for February. I can kind of see there being a rush for December, but also a lot of people who are going to be smart and prudent and be like, well, I'm going to wait until February because my stock is going to go up X percent just because of the situation. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic and how that works too. But yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more value put in quote-unquote walk-ons. Maybe guys who aren't walk-ons should be scholarship players, but because the spots aren't there for them, because of the portal, everything we're talking about here, I could see the walk-on phenomenon becoming maybe that's not the right word i could see the walk-on program becoming like a phenomenon where you're going to have really good walk-ons 
who get a scholarship after one year or one semester even. Actually, you can't do that. Yeah, but they get a scholarship. They got a scholarship before long, right? Mm-hmm. And they're good players, and they help you out uh, because there's not a spot for everybody anymore. There's a spot for 80% of your traditional high school classes, but also there's going to be huge competition for the players who are just freely transferring from one school to the other, probably making super teams, probably going to play with their guys and their friends or the people they always wanted to play with. You're going to see a lot of that, but that's going to open up a ton of space for people to transfer below them. So it's going to leave, like, I don't know, I mean, 400 people? Yeah, I could see something like that happen. It's, I don't know what percentage that is nationally, but I could see, like, a big chunk of really good players being available that have to walk on or have to, I don't know, go to junior college for a year or something like that. It, it totally shuffles the deck, right? Yeah, and this is this is a trend that's been happening, and it's going to go that way, and it's going to stay that way. I, I think, you know, look at look at the way programs are structuring their athletic department right now. Uh, Barton Simmons, who worked with us here at 24-7 Sports, hired by Vanderbilt to be the, quote, general manager. And in the job description, he handles, quote, roster management. You know, that you say that, you're thinking NFL. You're, you're thinking pro teams. What are you talking about roster management? You know, trades and draft picks and signings and stuff. And, and that's where college sports is going. It's, and West Virginia has been going that way, too. Uh, they, they don't have a quote unquote general manager, but even under Holgerson, you know, we saw Ryan Dorchester climb from recruiting coordinator to director of player personnel. And then instead of just one recruiting coordinator kind of doing it all, he became director of player personnel and they had two recruiting coordinators. And that's the way it's been under Neil Brown. You know, you got Brian Bennett as director of player personnel, and then you have two recruiting coordinators, one for offense, one for defense. And, I don't know if they're going to create another position on top of that, or, you know, basically Bennett is considered the quote unquote general manager here, but it's, it's going that way. I mean, heck West Virginia has a, a scouting department. They, they have scouting department for the recruiting stuff. So it's, um, it's going to get more complicated, more complex, not complicated, but complex. It, it people are going to get more, um, find, more ways to add players and I mean, you're going to see fewer and fewer high school kids sign each cycle, you know, not to the point that nobody's signing, but it, there are going to be more options on transfers and, and, and coaches and schools are going to look that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, and to your point, I like your point about the, uh, why not roll the dice and wait till February for a couple guys? Cause we always hear, Oh, sign, 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 get with a school. Don't get left in the cold. And, you know, yeah, I would suggest that for those guys that are uh, are down down the rankings, some you know, down the list, some. But there are also there's there's the inverse of that of a lot of guys that are you know say legit D one talents that all of a sudden become a red hot commodity when they don't sign in that first cycle. Uh, look at Jordan Jefferson, you know, mm-hmm. basic not an unknown, but you know, kind of had like I think his biggest offer was was maybe Troy, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, something like that. And he didn't sign in December, and then January coaching change happens. Or coaching change happens at West Virginia. West Virginia gets interested. Oh look, who's this? Oh Georgia Tech. Oh Florida State. I mean, he just went from Louisiana Lafayette to Florida State, West Virginia in like a month, mm-hmm. just because you come up to that February deadline. So it does work out well for people. Uh, some people, some people, uh, when they wait until February. New world, man. 
Yes, it is. Um, I guess, well, <laughs> Debbie Downer uh, Lighten here with the, are we missing on transfer targets or being extra picky? He, he likes to ask the, the depressing questions each week. <laughs> but I don't I, know. I haven't, like, let's be honest, I haven't heard a lot yeah. about going after guys. Like, I think I, they I like the roster as it is, and they'll, they'll, they'll pick and choose right now, but I don't think that we've seen, like, transfer X, here's my final three. And West Virginia is one of the three, and that person ends up picking somewhere else. We haven't seen three or four of those, right? I don't think we've seen right. one. My point is that it's not like it's a, it's happening right now. Um, I wonder if it's going to heat up. Is April 1st the date when the recruiting moratorium stops, or is it May 1st? April 15th. Okay, so For neither. person recruiting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, would, I would be surprised if they did anything before then right now. because And, and if you're a player, too. Like I think one reason that West Virginia maybe had some trouble in the portal this past time, guys who transferred in and transferred out, which is really unusual, but maybe happenstance when you can't visit the school and get to know the people around you when you transfer. I think that may be part of what happened this past year. Brand, Dobson, guys like that. Um, even Bola Patelli. I wonder if now schools especially, but also players are like, all I got to do is wait a couple more weeks and I can go see the campuses and get free trips and all that stuff. I'm going to wait. I'd be surprised if you see a lot of activity before that. Maybe some, but not a lot. Yeah, and I answered Lane's question with a little column A, but mostly column B. Like they're being they're being picky. Uh, you know, they got five spots, and what are they looking for on the transfer market? Um, a legitimate star at say linebacker, mm-hmm. um, a legitimate alpha receiver, and they haven't said this. You know, th- those were words from. Neil Brown. So he has said that they are looking for, you know, a playmaker at receiver, a playmaker at linebacker. How many of those are in the portal? True, like Tony Fields level starters in the portal. Not many. So I don't think you're going to see them trying to push. You know, I I mentioned Chance Campbell, the Maryland transfer. Uh, I was told that West Virginia did reach out, did try to touch base, did try to make a move there. But uh, Campbell ended up committing to Ole Miss. But other than that, I have not heard them linked with very many players at all transfers. Uh, so I think they're kind of waiting and seeing what's going to shake out because as we've seen, uh, you know, the portal's still bumping. Guys are still joining. And, and, you know, they got their, they're getting their scholarship checks for the spring and then they're jumping in the portal. And so I think you got a few more days of that. Then you'll probably have a lull of, you know, not a lot of people joining in. And then you'll get to post spring ball, April, mid-April early May, and you're going to see hundreds of kids join the portal right then, right yeah. right when they figure out that, you know, their they're second string or third string or whatever after spring football, have their, their spring football exit interviews, and they're going to enter the portal. And there are a couple spots on West Virginia's team where they may not want a starter like Tony Fields, but they might want some more depth, some young guys that maybe have three or four years of eligibility, and there's a clear path to playing time, like like safety. You know, West Virginia's lost a couple safeties here, and it's looking kind of thin behind the, you know, they got a great set of starters coming back, but looking kind of thin behind there because because you're then you're expecting, you know, Adai, um, Mahone, and probably Tyke Smith to be gone after this coming season. You know, so yeah, you need to you need to build up that depth at safety, and I think you can convince you know some some kind of safety that maybe we're second string somewhere else. Hey, come be second string here. And you're looking right at square at a starting spot in 2022. So I think you'll see them kind of pick things back up in April and May. Which is why that conversation that you just laid out there, 
that happened between West Virginia and the kid from Villanova, whose name I can't remember right now. Yeah. Um, but Amos would have been great if he had a couple years left, has one, doesn't fit this year. The funny thing is, we both said this, that the secondary was going to be really young or really old. Actually, the safeties were going to be really young or really old this year and no in between. It actually is in between somehow. <laughs> it's both? Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they have their players, then two seniors and Tyke Smith, who's a junior, but they're not coming off the field. And yet behind them, you kind of have a, a, a question mark for, I wouldn't say all of them. I think we probably know who may go there, but how they're going to play, I don't know. So it's funny how that's ended up. And maybe a month ago, you would thought, got to get safeties. And then people come back and you're like, well, now we don't have to get safeties. And you're looking at things and you say, I may want to get a safety. Um. Let's uh, let's go. I don't know. I don't want to say we're going to end on this, but let's get closer to the end here. We've been going an hour as usual, um, but this is from Swaggier. Name some players. This is football that may elevate their play into two deep this spring. Two on offense, two on defense. Go out on a limb here. Let's try not to make it too obvious. Mike, you got. I don't. I'm not going to put you on the spot for two apiece, but. Do you have any, you know, one player in mind that you think could uh, could could really kind of jump into that too deep here? I'm still intrigued by the bandits, like that we talked about last time, like Torres Sims, Eddie Watkins. I just, I think those guys. I I just watched Watkins play and realizing he was young in the game still and just didn't know a whole lot. Another converted basketball guy who they said, "Hey, play football," and he made it look so easy. I just think with some coaching, he's going to be really good. I don't know when that's going to be, but. I would not be surprised if he finds his way into the field and makes some plays. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if he's in the portal in a year because it didn't work out for him. You know, I don't want to forecast anything, but I think that's like the the edge he runs right now. Phone's going crazy. That's not good news, Chris. Uh-oh. Um, and then Torres Simmons looked pretty good in in a small number of plays. So I'm still stuck on those guys because I think it's interesting. And then you know, I don't I don't know what happens with. David Vincent O'Coley, his his true freshman season is fascinating to me. I don't think he ever got a helmet, right? Wait, uh, let me ask you about this before we go too far. Somebody asked on the board the other day, is this another Shelton Gibson situation? Remember where Gibson was that one partial Partial qualifier, qualifier, and then no one would talk about it. It would ask and ask and ask, and nobody would answer it. And then like after a whole year of no one ever seeing this big four-star recruit, somebody finally admitted that, yeah, that was the case. And, and that's why he couldn't play. I, I mean, I, I hate to speculate on people's academics and, and qualification, you know, whether they qualify or not, but I can't help but notice that he wasn't talked about hardly at all there for a long time and, and, and wasn't traveling, wasn't getting a helmet, wasn't dressing, nothing. Mm-hmm. Possible. Yeah. I mean, someone could whisper that to us, by the way, <laughs> just so we don't have this, this persistent question, but... Oh, well, yeah. maybe in a couple of years we'll know each other well enough we can do that. That's a possibility, though. But I, I just think his was a fascinating year. And then in the same position, the heck happened to Daryl Porter, right? He was like yeah. the best player in the world during camp and then didn't get on the field at all. And great, two corners ahead of him were that good. Were they that good? Or was, were we a little bit overselling him? I don't know. But I have a feeling that they're not going to make a leap, though, because those other two guys are there. So that puts me somewhere else. And I said this last time, too, and I got some feedback for it. I want to see James Thomas, man. That guy looks apart. And they kind of have need at some spots at linebacker. Could he be a backup? Will probably backup Mike. Maybe I just think he probably jumps up in there somewhere. Um, and then I was thinking about this on offense. I, I don't. I don't know. Like offensive line would probably be the right pick, and that'd be interesting. Um, I just think you're gonna. I think that to be exciting and, and thorough and comprehensive here in the answer, I think you're gonna see freshmen in the two deep at running back and receiver though. Like I don't know what's gonna keep 
Caden Prather off the field. I don't know what's going to keep Justin Johnson or Jalen Anderson off the field. It certainly isn't Alex Singfield or or some other really good receivers out there that puts Caden Prather on the sideline. I have a feeling that they're going to be in there because, one, they earned it, two, the team needs it, um, and then they're probably going to make something happen with it. I was with you on all those freshmen. Uh, I'm going to avoid that just because, I, you know, he mentioned this spring, and I guess we still haven't gotten an answer on Prather. Oh, uh, did he uh, say spring? My fault. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, it, but I'm with you 100%. I think Prather, Anderson, Johnson, all going to push to be in the two deep. So that, and and I guess we haven't got an answer on Prather. Don't hasn't officially been listed as enrolled. Some of the some of the snoops on the message board found him in the directory and enrolled and all that stuff, but no official word. And then, so I, I'm sticking with I guess what we quote unquote know, guys we know will be here this spring. Washington on the offensive side. I, I like a lot. Of, I like a lot of your picks, Mike. I know on both sides, so I, I don't want to double up on them. But you know, we're going to hear about Sam Brown. Uh, I think you know he's somebody. I guess was in the two deep. We saw bounce around from starter to nowhere to be seen, back to two deep, back to nowhere to be seen. Uh, so I don't think I can really count him since he was around a good bit. But Washington is, you know, he 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 didn't play like hardly at all. I don't think, and and he is somebody that I could see because he is somebody that can do something extremely well he is and, and this was my scouting report back when he was you know came to camp at wvu he is not somebody that's going to catch a short pass and make somebody miss and, and and go 50 yards that way he is somebody that can run very fast in a straight line but is also still 6'4 210 pounds and can absolutely catch everything and look up and down the roster how many guys can we say that about i mean i, I think you're looking at somebody that has that's kind of like a Bryce Ford Wheaton and same speed, same size, same hands. So I think he is someone that could kind of step into that role right behind Bryce Ford Wheaton and can become that kind of deep threat if you're trying to stretch the field and, and should jump from, you know, scout team into the two deep. Wildcard pick. Traylon Davis. Mm. Mm. Cause he's different. He's not, he's not like anybody they have, right? He's, they have, I think they have good tight ends. Um, yeah. And they have a little bit of everything. We, listen, we know who O'Loughlin and Banks are. Uh, Finley, I think, is a good project there in the future. Uh, Vickstrom's on campus now, so he could be in the conversation. But uh, I just think he's more of the, the guy who wants to block first and second and is an increasingly uh, developing receiver option. But I wonder if they can put him in the backfield. Can they, can they run him off the H-back spot and do some different things and keep another tight end on the field? possibility like they, they couldn't do any two tight end stuff last year not as much as they wanted to because they only had three and really how much is Finley going to play not much so I, I think that I'm not saying he's going to be great but I wouldn't be surprised if you heard a lot of good things about him boy this guy likes to stick his face in there boy this guy we run behind him and he does really well for a freshman uh, I, I could see that being something in the spring what happens because they're going to put him out there they know what Banks and they know what O'Loughlin can do this is going to be about Vickstrom and and Finley and and Davis himself, I just think of those three guys that I just mentioned, the newcomers, he's a guy that for what they need out of that position or on offense, he'd be, he would be more likely to distinguish himself earlier than the others. So you ready for some backup on that? I'm yeah. going to back you up on this because it, 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 a capital S someone told me before they even took his commitment that he was a guy. 
he was a guy they wanted. He was a guy that did did things that they needed and they wanted on this team and that they were going to do everything they could to flip him from Cincinnati. And he was going to be the first player to commit with that, like the first player that they would accept a commitment from without visiting, you know, and this, cause this was back in the spring when it was like, Oh, Hey, you know, we might still have summer camps <laughs> back when we were thinking like <laughs> that, but you know, and it was it, the, the, that West Virginia was taking a stance. So they liked this guy so much that they were even at the time when, when everybody was kind of thinking that, you know, visits would be back in a couple months or maybe by the fall, they were willing to roll the dice and take him without a visit back in the spring instead of waiting a couple months because they thought he was that good that they needed to flip him from Cincinnati right then. So you're not alone, Mike. You're not alone. I like it. Um, anything else you wanted to touch on uh, on on the podcast from these so the questions? Dirty Frank or... one, I don't know if Dirty Frank's playing me here or not. Yeah. <laughs> is so is gonna, Dirty, is dirty Frank it. your uh, your your uh, is this like your alias? You're just asking questions to yourself here. No, but it's okay. right on my wheelhouse, and I can't tell if he's if he's trolling me or not. But I'm not going to take the bait, and I'm not going to ignore it either. So I'm just going to ask the question. He says, "I've been curious about advanced special teams metrics for some time." I've seen people here and there in the push car center bandy them about, but I'm always skeptical. I guess I have a hard time trusting a formula that I can't recreate on my own because it requires some strength strength of schedule component that's equally opaque or because the whole darn thing is proprietary. But I digress. How do you evaluate special teams? How do you evaluate special teams coaching? Uh, I like the Football Outsiders um, FEI ratings. You can just Google it. Um, football outsiders, special teams, and they go through and they rank everything. It's quite a conversation, but listen, field position is the name of the game. And if you're consistently having a gap between your offensive field position and your defensive field position, you're doing what you need to do right. You can look at different things. Like like if you have really good offensive field position, that means you're probably really good either on defense because you're keeping the team from moving or you're good on returns. Which one is it? I don't know. It's one of those two. And if you have good defensive field position, that means maybe you're good but not great on offense. Um, or you're consistently getting touchbacks and you're getting coverage on punts and kickoffs, things like that. And their def- your defensive field position is good. I like a gap between my offensive and defensive field position, much like I like a gap between my points per game scored and points per game allowed. And also, you know, kind of a sneaky thing in college football is, I forget what the number is. Actually, Holgerson and Spavadol had it, and they would never tell me, but there's a magic number for yards per play on offense versus yards per play on defense. And if you have a gap in there, you typically win like 80 something percent of the time. I want to say it's like three and a half yards or something like that. Um, I may be wrong there, but I don't know what it is on special teams, but if you have a really good gap between your offensive field position and your defensive field position, that means you've got the good offensive, good defense, but also you're doing the right stuff on special teams. You're getting good returns and you're preventing good returns. You're not kicking the ball out of bounds or you're seeing a gap and you're able to hit it. You're consistent. You're consistently doing it. It's not a flash or a couple of things that tilt one or the other. It's because you're good at it, which means good coaching or whatever. So, um, yeah, if you if you make all your field goals and you don't have touchbacks on punts and if you get some touchdowns on punt and kickoff, obviously you're good. But if you're trying to stand back from, you know, again, the thousand yard glance, thousand yard glance at what am I looking at with these numbers? I look for a gap in between field position because if you're working with a shorter field on offense and you're working with a longer field on defense, obviously your scores are going to come easier and the opposition scores are going to be more difficult if you do that consistently all three sides of the ball are working together there because your special teams comes through. I'm going to leave all that 
with you, but to note, while you were talking there, I, I went back, I pulled up the Football Outsiders FEI special teams ratings for the past, ever since West Virginia joined the Big 12 Conference in 2012. Consistently in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, like a rank out of 120 to 130 teams, depending on the year. Uh, consistently below average, which jives with what we've seen from special teams this year or over the past decade. But 2018 is by far the best. Number 19 in the country out of that one. So they're good. Again, I don't know what the formula says. I have to look into it more. I'm looking at it right now, but it kind of one of those situations where it does the data back up or, you know, uh, deny what, what you think you saw with your eyes and kind of confirms it. So I don't know if that's a bias or not, but um, interesting numbers. We'll have to look into that and, and maybe figure out what 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 they did well, what they didn't do well, and what what this formula says. Yeah, well, I can never find the stat for the gap though. So you kind of have to do some like looking on your own. Like, all right, well, this I can rank offensive field position. I can sort that from one to one thirty, I think, and I can yeah. sort from one to one thirty defensive. But I can't I can't do the plus and minus. What's the gap I had as that rank? So you kind of have to do the math on your own. I'm sorry, but it's redeeming too. I think it's an important thing to look at. Oh, it sounds good. Um, again, I think that covers everything we're going to cover here on the podcast. I've already begun answering the questions in written form. The way today's going, the way we got what we got on the schedule and with a basketball game tonight, you'll likely see the written mailbag first thing Wednesday morning. So keep an eye out on that. Uh, don't hate the delay. Just, just the way the schedule works out with everything going on. Uh, you can always blame mike for for taking a vacation this weekend so uh enjoy that one um send your hate mail to mike i'm not gonna answer it but you can send it all you want (laughs) all right let's wrap it up then chris anything else no that's it for right now well again we'll have coverage of the game and we're gonna have stories throughout the week we got some new offers going out for recruiting uh expecting something about the football coaching staff here soon uh you know we saw shadon brown uh say his goodbyes to Louisville. So the expectation is at some point in the near future, he will be announced at West Virginia as a, as a new assistant coach. And and then with that announcement, I guess we would assume that they'll also announce new roles. Again, Andrew Jackson, who was hired, not given a title at the time of, of his hiring announcement. Um, but that that's standard for, especially under Neil Brown, that, that it'll all come together at the same time. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) All right. Well, then that's that's all for this time. I'm probably going to hear about that one. That's all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I'm Mike Kazaza. Don't cut that. I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you later.